and welcome to this episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Jo Ritchie and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri and the Bunwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, traditional custodians of the lands and airwaves of Nam where this conversation takes place. Land which was never ceded. Land where communities came together to eat seasonally, locally and without exhausting resources. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and rising. Now if you're into excellent croissant and inventive viennoiserie, think chocolate fondant croissant, you'll have heard of Penny for Pound. Pastry chef Matilda Smith and her partner in life and business Ben Wilson opened their original hole in the wall shop in Richmond in 2018. They quickly garnered a following and Penny for Pound became the go-to spot for Richmond locals craving the perfect croissant fix. What's even better, croissants are baked three times daily at 8am, 10am and midday, so if you time it right, you can get a warm, buttery croissant straight from the oven. The pair then went on to expand their business to a shop in Camberwell, a new space in Richmond when the old place was no longer available, and a 100 square metre HQ in Moorabbin's Morris Moore Precinct. It's not all about the croissant anymore. With two production kitchens, a 130-seat cafe and a dine-in menu that caters to every palate, it's an impressive operation. Matilda took me for a tour of the kitchens and then we sat down and had a, a chat about how she got into it, where she gets her inspiration and how much she loves teaching and passing on her knowledge. Matilda changes the menu monthly at Penny for Pound. And coming up, there will be the chocolate fondant croissant for Valentine's Day and then hot cross buns, traditional, single origin chocolate, coffee using coffee from Axel and a sticky date and caramel. In addition, Matilda and Ben have opened Holler Gelato next door to the Morabin store and Matilda's working on a hot cross bun ice cream sandwich which will have burnt butter and salted honey gelato in the middle of a toasted hot cross bun. I'll leave that with you. Now, during the first six minutes or so, I'm sharing the tour through the kitchen, so it's a little bit like an audio Blair Witch Project kind of style, and Matilda explains processes and so on, and you will feel as though you're there. Then after that, we leap into the chat. How are you? Very Yeah, good. Nice to see you again. Thanks for coming down. Of course, yeah. Very exciting. Um, yeah, so this is exciting. Yeah. I think last time we met was at Richmond. It was. Was that March? How long ago is that? Um, it was a long time ago. It mu- yeah, it must be because we we closed over Christmas and then took like six weeks or something to renovate and then re- so it probably yeah. was as long ago as March. I can't believe yeah. it's been that long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but March reopening for Richmond, was it? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so yes, it was not long ago. Yeah. Hmm. What do you want to do? Do you want to take for a tour? Do you want to see the coffee? Sure, do you? I've never done one of these things before. Okay, well, a little bit. I'm a bit nervous. No, not at all. <laughs> Let's go for a tour. Yeah. Be nice. okay. And then we can have a chat about you know how you got to here. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. Amazing. Um, all right, cool. Well, we'll start at the front, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, we designed the space. Obviously, we had Richmond's tiny little store and then we needed more space, obviously. So, we were given this big glass box and they sort of said, fill it in how you want. So, we sort of um, wanted to keep the same feel as Richmond, like nice and yeah. We're sort of in between shifts now, which is, I probably should have got you out here when there was more happening, but strategically I was like, this is my downtime. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, morning team is gone, so normally they're in there sort of rolling all their croissants and stuff, and nice and open. And How many would be in there at one, at one um, time? They usually have five in there, 
um, and they start early, they start at like 4 a.m. Making up all, everything all nice and fresh for the day, laminating all their doughs, and then they're sort of in their DVDs all morning. And usually five of them in there. Um, yeah, so stocking the pastry display, cakes and pastries, and we try to do um, like a monthly menu. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, each month new flavours come out. Because I was going to talk to you um, before Christmas about the mince mm. pies, mm. but. Um, well, we're now doing Easter. I was going to say, you probably signed for Easter, yet. We have, yeah. We've just been finalising some bun. packaging and but stuff. But you have different things every month anyway. So, every month, yeah, yeah. We do a new menu every month. Well. So um, just keep it interesting. We've got, I mean, some things will never come off. We never take off, you know. Butter croissant, almond croissant, some things are just always stay. Um, but yeah, and do you have several bakes a day for the croissant here as well? Or is yeah, it, yeah, at each store we do. We try to do um, 8 a.m., 10 a.m. and midday. So yeah. three points in the day. Hopefully, get a, a warm one. Yeah, or, yeah. Oh, yeah, coming off. Give you a quick little tour of Brendan and Zoe, guys. This is Joe. Hi. Um, so, yeah, they, they sent you all of our plate additions, obviously. That smells um, delicious. Just working on a new menu now. So it smells fruity. Am I smelling fruit? Uh, probably. I think Zoe's just been doing um, some vanilla and rosemary roasted peaches oh, for her new. Um, Toasty, because that'll be exciting. Because they try to do, they do the hot kitchen menu like once a week, but pretty much, yeah. Things will think of once again, there's a few things that don't ever come off. Yeah. Um, but this is the main production space. Um, so yeah, we're sort of in the middle of a changing of the guards now. Bakery is pretty closed here all day, but we do, um, uh, pastry team tend to have like early morning starters, and okay. they have starters late in the afternoon. Oh, wow. They do all our wholesale. Oh, okay. So okay, they'll, cool. they'll start, they'll trade up and get everything done. And then the delivery drivers here at about midnight. And, um, so it's such so a high production now, isn't it? It's yeah, amazing. It is. We're, we're sort of almost 24 hours, which is like, um, you know, trying to make the most of the space and figure out those key points and times of when people need things. Obviously, the cafes wholesale always they need everything there by 6 a.m. to open, so working through. Be able to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Real bakery hours. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, so we're set up for wholesale bake off tonight. We're making brioche buns over there, the burgers and stuff. Um, yeah, we've got big mixes, walking figures and freezers over the back there. Oh, it's huge, um, isn't it? <laughs> our, uh, we've, got, we've got a little ice cream shop as well in the corner. Okay, oh, that's you uh, as well. Yeah, that's us as well. So we make everything here. And then, I know, it's crazy. <laughs> um, and at one hour, the Cubo, which is like an amazing tool that we use a lot for um, like cooks under pressure and vacuum and all that sort of stuff. So make all of our own you know, jams and caramels and all that sort of stuff. And okay. You cook in there under pressure okay, so it doesn't oxidise and, you know, keeps a really nice red colour of the berries for your jams and all that sort of stuff. And we do a, like a plum and walnut danishes and um, like a chocolate fondant um, croissant, like a gooey middle. Yeah, um, wow. Kind of got a little bit Valentine's-y for okay. February without being too cheesy, but I know it's Valentine's Day, crazy, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so we kind of have a little, little something something. We'll put a few cute things on there and yeah. some berry things and make it a little bit. It's good though, isn't it? Because it feels like, um, you know, obviously you're one of those little chefs who is 
you're constantly curious and it, and it must keep it interesting if you keep looking for new things to do. Yeah, yeah. there's always something to always plan for or, or think or about. different seasonal things. Yeah. And, yeah, trying to, trying to keep it interesting for the staff and the customers and we're going to do this year for our hot cross buns. Um, people like something a bit different but with hot cross buns it's quite protective of them as well and like them traditional. So this year we're going to do um, uh, like our three flavours of hot cross buns that we did last year, but we do a collaboration with Polar and do like like hot cross bun ice cream sandwiches almost. Oh, yeah, so the traditional ones I've just tested a um, like a burnt butter and salted honey gelato to put in the middle and like yeah. the butter inside the, um, the toasted bun, melted gelato, um, and then we're going to do a single origin chocolate one with one of our friends who owns a chocolate shop. Absolutely right. And yeah. I was reading about your mum being a francophile, and I was like, Oh, ah, yes, yeah. <laughs> she is. She is. We did, oh, it years ago now, but um, one of mum's like high points of her whole life was she got all three of her adult children in Paris to celebrate a white Christmas together. About probably, thank you. Thank you. Uh, not for now, we're okay. Thanks, Daniel. It's probably about eight years ago now or something, but um, amazing. Yes, yeah, yeah, to get everybody's. We're all living in different spots at the time and. Um, yeah. So where does that come from? Does she just does she, she speak learned, French? Yeah, she yeah. speaks French. She learned it at high school, and then I think um, she sort of forgot about it for a lot of her life. And then um, we we kids learned French at high school as yeah. well. And I, th- I don't know. I think it just reignited something in her, and she remembered it. And yeah, she really took it and ran with it. So she joined the Alliance Francaise, and she yeah. goes to France like quite often. Yeah. And, um, yeah, she is. Uh, she's one of those women that's very all or nothing. Yeah, yeah. Definitely all in with the French. Oh, yeah. I love that. French movies, French everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was your mum that suggested you go to the Cordon Bleu. It was, yeah. yeah. Well, yes, being the Francophile, yeah. Um, so, because what were you doing? Well, I was, at, I was, I was living in Sydney, and I was studying at uni. I was studying arts. Okay. I was pretty much doing a. Uh, I don't know what I want to do with my life degree, you yeah. know, so I signed on up and um, yeah, academia just wasn't for me, but I was just there because I didn't know what else to do and then um, doing a part-time job like just waitressing and um, always cooking, you know, just in my spare time and um, yeah, I, I mean, I've done that since I was a little kid, you know, and um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I wasn't having an existential crisis or anything else, I was probably just drifting a bit and floating and mum was sort of like, well, when you figure out what you like, you know, you love cooking, like you could actually do that as a job, you know. And I was like, oh yeah, I think I, you know, growing up at school, it's sort of um, like you were never asked, like, are you going to go to uni? It was like, what are you going to do at uni? And no, that was I, sort yeah, of I understand. The, yeah, and it's kind of yeah, and I and I just feel like more increasingly I think it's good to recognise that kids all have different things that they're into yeah, and we don't absolutely. not everyone should go to uni absolutely yeah. and it, yeah I think um, I mean it's funny people are coming back to France but I feel like in France like um, 
like trades and you know professions like that are really like really valued you know like you're you know a, a chef or a baker or a, even I remember when I was there they had um you know how we have master chef and stuff they had like France's France's best and they had like a whole different and there was France's best hairdresser when I was there yeah. they had competitions it was televised and whatever and I'm like like that's such a here like trades like that are you know, not looked down on, but, you know, if, if your kid said, oh, I'm going to become a hairdresser, I'm sure parents would be like, oh, you don't want to be a doctor or a lawyer or, you Absolutely, know. Absolutely, yeah, that's right. Um, and, yeah, it's yeah. a lot more, you know, there's a lot of artisanal um, trades over there as well that are really yeah. our well, heroes. And I hope, it, I hope it keeps going, yeah, but I, like, you know, I mean, bakery and stuff, I hear that a lot of patisseries over there and stuff now just with with wages and ingredients costs and all that sort of stuff even a lot of local bakeries now apparently are buying in par-baked frozen croissants and things just because they can't can't compete yes. and you know staff shortages and all but that sort of stuff but they did pass a law on that so it can oh. only be called a boulangerie if it's baked on the premises so, so you know right. so it's a viennoiserie if it's if it's brought in from a right. um, so so you do know when you're going in right you know like and, and that's your choice okay then. yeah 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 um, okay, but yeah because they went, I remember a few years ago well quite a few years ago when I was there they had this mm. whole article and it was called um, à la recherche du pain perdu and in mm-hmm. French so that's a play on the Proust, Perdue, Proust yeah. no, novel, but Pain Perdue oh, being French okay. toast as well, but they were in search of, um, you know, lost bread, because yeah. everyone was doing that frozen mm-hmm. bread thing. And, and like losing they, the art. Yeah, of it. and then yeah. they passed this law, and I was like, oh, it's so French. Wow, that is so, so French, French, isn't it, as well? I'm sure there was probably a few strikes around it as well. Yeah, I've spoken to a few people that have gone through the Cordon Bleu, and um, and a couple of them went to Paris to do it. Yeah. So Mariana Shadid from Brule in mm-hmm. Port Melbourne, um, and also uh, it's a while ago since I spoke to him, but the young pastry chef in Abbotsford who is. Um, Making amazing things. He's got this gorgeous chandelier, tiny little hole in the wall. I think I know. I think I know all the but I can't remember the name. And um, I think it's something Parisian or something. I think it's a bit Frenchy. The name. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So it sort of astounds me. Nine months doesn't sound very long to come out and be so proficient. No, no, no. It's it's not. It's not. Um. And I was a mature age. Like I think I went there when I was twenty-seven or something. Like I was quite old. so I was very deliberately like fast tracking myself almost, yeah. um, just because I was like, oh, I don't want to be a mature age apprentice for three years, you know, and like, you know, not getting any younger. Um, but I think really the most valuable part of it, and where I learned the most, was the six months of industry placement that you have to do at the end. So, yeah. like, I so think, is that after the nine months, or is it? Yeah, so okay. you do three. You do like it's a, there's a basic, intermediate, and superior course which is you know you go to class you do all your theory which is like the Australian government you know like the TAFE courses where you do your food safety and OHS and all that sort of stuff um, and then you do like a, a I can't remember what they used to call it, like a theory class and then a practical so you sit down and you learn the, the history behind and the you know the science behind puff pastry or whatever it is and then you go and you watch the chef make it they do the full demo and then you go to class and you spend you know your four hour lesson or whatever making the item that you've just seen um, which is great and it gives you a really great base knowledge of you know how to make these things and the science behind it and I mean they're, they're, it's a pretty good class um, but one of the things that they don't teach you is um, 
working with a sense of urgency, how to do things, how to scale things, how to multitask, how to, you know, in the real world, obviously, you're never going to spend four hours making one Galette de Noir. Like, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. you couldn't do it. Um, thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, that's where I think the, the industry placement six months that you do, you know, and we have placement students who come here, and I always say to them, like, you've done a really great basic foundation on, like, yes, how to, how to do your puff pastry folds and, you know, how to technically do all these things. But, you know, one of the things we're going to teach you is how to work in a busy environment where you've got a few things on the boil and how to set up your workflow so that you can work in an efficient way and, um, you know, how to be a good employee, you know. Like, I, I always say, like, um, you know, the work experience that you come here and do, it's not just about making cakes and things, but it's how to be a professional in the environment as well and, you know, how to how to respect the team around you and take it seriously and, you know, bring a notebook and, like, you know, have a certain level of polish and, you know, all those things. You know, if you're going to be a professional and in the industry, and it's a small industry, you know, like you get people applying and they might list uh, places they've had experience but don't put any references, you know, and I'm like, well... I know the owner there, we're mates, we used to work together at wherever, you know. Um, yeah, so it's definitely a small industry. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I think it's, I think the industry placement part of the Le Cordon Bleu trade is really where you yeah. get a lot of value. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, pastry is so precise and, um, and you know, you, you can't just be throwing in things as you do with um, cooking savoury. <laughs> For want of a better yeah well what so do they what, say cooking's an art and baking's a science <laughs> yeah well yeah so so what what drew you what made you go the way of pastry rather than because you already because you cooked a lot as well growing yeah, up I yeah i do yeah and i and I, I i mean i enjoy cooking i like cooking you know meals for the family and and playing around with savories as well but yeah pastry, i think growing up pastry was always um my go-to i'm not sure if it's just because my whole family has a bit of a sweet tooth, my brother and my mum particularly, probably. Um, but yeah, we always had, you know, the Women's Weekly Cookbook and that sort of stuff when you'd be making, you know, a chocolate slice or something as yeah. one. You'd always tell which recipe we liked because the page had smatterings of, like, chocolate sauce and, yeah. you know, just filthy. And one particular tray as well that from making the... Uh, uh, chocolate slice that mum used to make for every you know school fate and all that sort of stuff and we had one tray that had just like hundreds and hundreds of uh, indentations and cuts and yeah, slices yeah. from you know six years of school fate and that being whipped out every time um, yeah I don't know baking I think it was a, a pastime that you know my sister and I used to do together and um, yeah so I guess that's probably that's probably part of it. Oh, and also probably I'm vegetarian as well, so maybe that has something to do with it. Oh, yeah. That the, um, you know, there's a certain level of, I think there's like a butchery section if you do the cuisine course. It would be hard if you're a vegetarian. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, so even now, like I, I eat, um, you know, dairy and eggs and all that sort of stuff. Um, but when I started at Le Cordon Bleu, I was quite consciously, I didn't eat gelatin. But I've since become... You know, more relaxed on that just okay. because of necessity from you know yeah. from, from what we make and, and what we produce and yeah. Um, and so then, yeah. so you were in Sydney and you were with the Miraval Group. So I studied at Le Cordon Bleu out there, and then um, I actually did my industry placement at Miraval in their like meetings and events they called it. So they did um, everything from you know. Um, corporate lunches and you know breakfast meetings and that sort of stuff through to 
weddings in the Ivy Ballroom and, you know, food festivals that had 5,000 people and just a whole range of things. Um, so, yeah, got a really varied sort of um, experience there, I suppose. Um, yeah, we did, yeah, you know, there was little bespoke dinners where you did a plate-up dessert for 12 people and then there was, you know, big catering gigs. And, yeah, so we've definitely learned a lot. Um, yeah, it was a pretty crazy company to work for at a pretty crazy time, I think. Um, and I think coming from that, I'm very conscious of how much the industry has changed. Um, like, for the better, generally, in terms of... Um, you know hours and what's expected and yeah so yeah at, at the time I sort of probably didn't realize just how crazy it was <laughs> um, and I think because we had our little crew as well in this I mean we were pumping out some serious product and volumes and there was there was like four key pastry chefs in that section and um, it was like a little family like war buddies or something you know you come out the other side and I just sort of think back of it and we've discussed it We've discussed it in the years since, but a couple of them have actually started their own business. And um, yeah, looking back on it now, you think, oh my god, like how how was that the norm, and how did we how did we do those sort of hours? And yeah, but I think the industry's changed a lot for the better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It just, I mean, it was unsustainable to expect people to yeah um, yeah to do that sort of a. Yeah, it's pretty crazy what people yeah. have had to go through to, you know, and I, and I think there's a level, some chefs suspect to, and there's a level of, well, to get good at anything you have to do, you know, you've got to put in the hours, but there is, as you say, the sustainability side of things as well, and um, yeah. you can put in the hours, but you need to be paid for them. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. But I think, um, yeah, no, no business I don't think could ever, like, there were... T- no business could be sustainable paying overtime rates that you have to pay if that were going to make chefs do that. You know? No. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's good these days that, um, you know, things are, people keep an eye on things a bit more and, you yeah. know, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think we've, I mean, the industry's been through a funny few years with, um, with all of the wage things that have happened and um, crackdowns on all that sort of stuff and with COVID and just so much so much happening it's really it's been through a really rough few years um and a lot of people wanted to get out you know we've um, yeah we've been running our bakery section for just shy of two years now um and there were heaps of people who wanted to be bakers and then there was absolutely nobody for about a period of six months when everybody had gotten out um, it's astounding, isn't it? And interesting too that so many people were home bakers over lockdown. You know, those yeah, people got yeah. into making Well, bread. maybe, maybe they have. I don't um, know, but, but yeah. commercially or um, professionally, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I feel like um, I feel like people are returning to it now and... Um, yeah, we've um, we've got a really great little core team at the moment. So yeah. Um, so did you imagine yeah. when you were, um, you know, when you were first starting out and you were, did you was your was it always your idea to have your own place? Um, I think, I mean, everybody I think romanticizes it a little bit. Um, I'm sure if you spoke to any chef who was studying at Le Cordon Bleu, most people would say, oh, I'd love to have my own thing one day. Um, had I sort of sat down and done a business plan and figured out exactly what that would look like? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember when I was working at a K 
cafe in Sydney when I was putting myself through school and sort of started talking about the idea loosely. Um, like the one of the chefs who was working there at the time said, you know, you're crazy. Why would you? Why would you say you're buying yourself a job? Why would you do that? Wow. Um, <laughs> yes, and I was like, wow, okay. Um, a bit rough. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit rough. Um, but yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I definitely wouldn't have started anything if it wasn't for my partner Ben. Um, he's definitely the businessy sort of. He's a he did a, like a bachelor of business at uni. He's, he's managed restaurants before. Okay. Um, but sort of a little bit yin and yang. Um, so yes, he's he's like the general manager, and I'm like the head pastry chef. Yeah. Um, so he looks after business I think he might look after kitchen operations um, but no I def- definitely wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for him he's, um, he's been absolutely instrumental and I think he's the one with a bit of vision and stuff as well like um, yeah when we got into hospitality you know like uh, you know wages were lowly you know um, hours were crazy for a woman who wanted to do it if you wanted to start a family or anything like there was just no way to really um you know, progress your career or make it work or, you know, have any sort of, um, you know, growth, I suppose, if you wanted to take some time off and have a bit of flexibility and, um, yeah, so I think starting our own thing was, you know, a bit of a gamble and things, but um, um, work-life balance is a term that's thrown around a fair bit and I'm not saying that I have it right now, um, but I think to be able to take some time off, um, figure out what hours you want to work, uh, figure out what's important to you with two little kids, like, um, yeah, starting our own thing is to a point, and we're still getting there, yeah. but allowed us to be a bit flexible with that. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I can make my own hours. Yeah. Um, and I can, you know, if Friday morning is swimming lessons, Ben and I can both be there, you know, and I don't have to... I sort of always have to be here, but we can control it a little bit at the same time, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, and it's yeah. you're really successful. Like you know, you've got these oh, three. Like, this is a massive place, and you're doing the wholesale as well as um, you know having the, the customers come into the cafe. Yeah. And it's the same. Is it? A, it I haven't been to the Camberwell one, but to the but Camberwell one similar vibe to Richmond. So yeah. there's um, pastries, Small, bread, toasted yeah. sambos, coffee, yeah. um, a few little tables and stuff. No, no dining menu. This is definitely our flagship and our. Yeah. You know, our headquarters, we call it our headquarters, you know, where you know, all the all the pastries are made and yeah. Um, what do you yeah. reckon? Because I feel like lots of places pop up, you know, mm. and um and and places lots of people do croissant and lots mm. of people do bread and um yeah. so why why are you so successful? Well I don't know, that's a tricky well it's a <laughs> tricky it word is. as well because I think um I mean I mean, this is a beautiful space and we love it, but I think you can definitely have the illusion of success as well. Like, we, um, you know, like we're, we're getting there, but, um, you know, we've got huge debts to pay, you know, to pay for the build of this. And like like everyone, we're, um, you know, we're, you know we're, we're making it work, um, but it's a hard grind. And I, yeah. think, um, I think Ben and I have both learnt... Um, <coughs> You know, through running this thing for the last seven years and through COVID and through growing pains and all this sort of stuff, like, I think as a, as a chef but as an owner, you've got to be comfortable to make some really tricky decisions, I think. Um, yeah, I think just, just because a place has a big 
has a, you know, a beautiful big cafe or something attached to it. Like there's um, yeah, there's lots of layers to success, I suppose, as well. And, yeah. Um, yeah, we've made some real sacrifices to, um, of course. I'm being brutally honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think we wouldn't have been able to do this if we weren't so just violently stubborn in the first three and four years of running this thing and literally doing everything that we had to do to make it work. Yeah, I guess what um, I, maybe what I mean too is that you do have a following, so people really love your um, pastries and, yeah. and bread. I mean, yeah. um, Richmond's always... Well, often when I go past here, it's really busy. Yeah. So I guess that's Richmond what I mean. Richmond was our original home. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think. Um, I mean, I think Ben and I are both, you know, people, people to a, yeah. to a certain extent. And I think, um, you know, Richmond in early days, we've got a, a lot of customers who have been with us since the start. Um, and I mean, it sounds cheesy, but who have, you know, seen us grow up, who have seen, you know, me there rolling pastries while I'm eight months pregnant with my first daughter, and, you know, Ben behind the counter, and they've literally seen us grow up, you know, as a family, as a business. Um, and yeah, they're, I mean, you know, we pop something up on Instagram or something, they're always the first ones to comment and say, we'll pop yeah. in. And, yeah, we do have a really loyal, um, you know, group of pastry lovers, and it's, it's something that we really appreciate, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it's just from, you know, being being there and being present in the business, and I don't know, maybe. Well, I mean, good product though, as well, and I think the fact that you do keep innovating, but you've got your um, consistency with the, you know, the, the croissant and the, um, yeah. the those base products that you do. Yeah. I'm really, I'm always fascinated by this laminating thing with, with pastry, and yeah. and I when I spoke to Mariana at Brule, she was talking about you need a certain kind of butter, like a dry butter. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I guess that that must change with different I suppose it must be temperature controlled in that room is it yeah, because I would got say the most overspecced air conditioning in the whole city because I, I feel like it's room. so crazy out there at the moment yeah. and so humid yeah, um, you'd yeah, have yeah. to be aware of all that don't you? oh you yeah. do yeah so we've got um, we've got some great air con in there and um, yeah obviously um, yeah, we work with you know temperatures but also the textures of things so um, I think sometimes people think, okay, you have to keep your dough as cold as possible and your butter as cold as possible. Um, but really, it's not about the temperatures being the same, it's about the textures being the same. Um, so um, I'm sure you know a bit about lamination and that you essentially want to encase your butter in your dough and then roll it out so it needs to be uniform. So yeah. rather than the temperatures being the same, the texture and consistency of the two products needs to be the same. Yeah. Um, so I always get my guys, if I'm teaching somebody how to laminate for the first time, um, we always say the butter needs to be malleable. So I grab a sheet of the butter um, and we bend it over the side of the bench. And if it can bend over the side of the bench, ah. um, that's how we check that, you know, as a newbie, that's how you would check or our, how our team would check, um, that the butter's malleable and able to be rolled out and all, you know, without cracking or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so that's my little tip for my newbies when I'm teaching them to laminate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it must, I guess, must, must be different in France as opposed to here because of different flours and things. I think about the baguette and how people make really great bread here, but it's never the same as a French baguette in France. Yeah, that's true. France. Yeah. Is that what... Yeah, it might be flour. It might be flowers. Well, that's probably. Yeah, you're probably right as well. Uh, yeah, well, with three ingredients, right? Flour, water, salt. 
Yeah. Um, no, but even, I mean, speaking about butter and stuff, like apparently even the cow's diet, you know, can, of course. can of course. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, yeah. can change, well. you know, what the butter and the cream is like. So, um, yeah, and we use um, Australian milled flour. We don't get our flour from France. We use Australian flour. Um, but yeah, with the change in seasons, again, you know, if you have different, different amounts of protein and gluten and yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, um, yeah, it gets quite scientific, you know, you can really nerd out about it. They can they send you like a spec sheet which actually has a full breakdown of okay. you know, sugars and glutens and all of the things that, you know, as a baker you would need to know to be able to get as consistent a result as possible. Okay. Um, across the change of seasons. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, I know, yeah, it can get very sciencey. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I hadn't even thought about it, and I thought about measuring things, but I hadn't thought about it to that extent. So that's, yeah. Yeah, that's quite fascinating. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And when you're thinking of your different seasonal or even different monthly um, uh, specials or yeah. menus, yeah. where do you get your inspiration? Do you is it books? Is it oh. um, online? Is it just from your knowledge of what how um, things work? I usually well, I mean, I like to. Sort of like to try to think about the customer and have a little bit of something for everybody. So we usually, if we're designing a new menu, we usually like to have. Um, uh, what is it? My old head chef used to say um, something for me, something, something for. It was like something for him, something for her, and something for Nan, I think it was. So I would usually have something, you know, a little bit chocolatey and decadent, and then they'd have something fruity and lighter, and then something a bit classic and really accessible, you know. Um, so just that idea of thinking about um, everybody who might come in, you know. Yeah. We try to be a pretty, you know, um, family-friendly place. We like to be inclusive, so, um, yeah, some, something for everybody. So I usually sort of work on that, you know, seasonal fruits, so that's somewhere I would definitely start. And then, yeah, something a little bit, um, a little bit decadent. And as you say, like we've been trading for seven years now, so we've got a bit of an idea of the sort of style of things that our customers like as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of funny. People, um, people really like uh, classic flavors done well, or like a, a modern version of something that they're really familiar with. So yeah. they love it if you take a. You know, a candy bar or a classic dessert or something like that, and put a bit of a spin on it. They're okay. always really super popular flavors. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We're creatures of habit, so people like something you know familiar in a way. That's right. But done, done in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, uh, and also, you know, um, staff and customer recommendations as well. You know, of what they've liked in the past, or um, yeah, if somebody sees something they went out went out for dessert somewhere and had something or. Um, yeah. Do you have Very notebooks where you write things down? Or yes. is it just, yeah, oh, okay. I've got thousands of things scrawled yeah. and drafted and um, little sketches and drawings yeah. and yeah, 100%. It's fun that's to great. look back on it. Actually. Yeah, that is good. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's cool. Do you reckon you'd do a book one day? Oh, um, oh I don't know. Um, maybe. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? Um, yeah, I, I would love to do that. Yeah, I, I think. I do quite like teaching. Um, mm. Yeah, I like I like teaching new staff members. We've talked about doing classes and stuff in the past, which we haven't um, finalised. But it's something I would like to do. Um, yeah, I think I I like explaining how and why and sort of um, going through things quite methodically. So I don't know, maybe it would be a maybe a cookbook would be a good idea. Today. I don't know. <laughs> so I guess with all that in mind. Um, and from you know the point of view that as you said you're a mature age student when you started so you had a bit more um 
and their life experience and so on. What would be your advice to a young person who, or a mature age person <laughs> who is um, thinking about becoming a chef? Um, hmm, my advice. Yeah. Um, I Oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, I think that, I mean, for anybody who's starting out in my kitchen, um, I always tell them that they're going to get out of it what they put in, um, especially to our students that we have um, or any apprentices. Um, yeah, I suppose to take it seriously. Um, I tell everybody to bring a notebook. Um, yeah, and I feel like uh, in the kitchen and probably everywhere in life, people will invest in you if you return the favour. Um, I like to think we've always got our staff back because they've got ours. Um, so yeah, I'd say you'll get out of it what you what you put in. Um, yeah. Great. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. Perfect. <laughs> so much for listening to this episode of Conversation with a Chef with Matilda Smith at Penny for Pound. If you liked what you heard, you can check out all the goodness on Instagram at Penny for Pound. Maybe with my New Zealand accent, that's not quite clear. It's P-E-N-N-Y-F-O-R-P-O-U-N-D and Holla Gelato, that's H-O-L-L-A-G-E-L-A-T-O. If you'd like to hear more stories from other chefs, I'm on Instagram at Conversation with a Chef. You can read the chat and become a subscriber at www.conversationwithachef.com. I would love it if you told a friend about my chats. And of course, you can continue to follow me. Continue, that's a bit um, thinking I'm pretty good. But you can follow me on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Also, Audible and Amazon, if that's your bag. Once again, thanks so much for listening. Have a great day and bon appétit.